Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, how are we? Good. Hey, it is good to be uh, back with you all uh, this morning. I've had three weeks off of preaching, and I've been told that when I take weeks off, that I come back a little strong. Uh, so just buckle up and get ready for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. For those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here uh, at Flourishing Grace, and I'm excited. I'm excited to be back up here with you this morning and to be able to just open up the Word with you and kind of lay it before us. And so we are going to be in Mark chapter 10. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark for since last October, basically. Um, and so Mark chapter 10, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and pull it out. Mark chapter 10 is on page 938 in the blue Bible, page 938. Uh, in the Blue Bible. Um, and here at Flourishing Grace, I mean, we believe this is the Word of God. It is, not, it is not a book. It's not some letters that have been compiled. It's not this ancient document. It's all of those things, but primarily it's the Word of God. It's a gift from His hands. It, we conform our lives to it. We don't conform it to our lives. And so in honor and reverence to the Word of God, as I read it, would you stand with me if you're able? As I read it for us this morning, we're going to start in verse 32 this morning. Verse 32, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they, Jesus and his disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Now, a couple months ago, um, I came downstairs in our house, and my oldest son, Winston, who at the time was seven, he's, ne he's eight now, he just turned eight, um, he, he, had, he kind of built this thing out of Legos, and he, he had set it up, and then he had these, his, this Lego set that he got for Christmas, and he was like building it and playing with it, and he was like 
talking to this thing that he had built about what he was doing. And I came in the room and I was like, I caught, I caught him in the act. And I was like, what, what are you doing, man? And, he, and he's like, uh, not, nothing. Like, no, 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 like, what, what, like, what are you playing? He's like, ah, oh, he's playing, he's playing. No, 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 but what is, what's this thing? He's like, oh, it's a camera. He had built this, like, Lego camera. And I was like, oh, okay. So, so like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just, I'm on YouTube. I'm like, oh, okay. And he, I realized he's, like, acting out like he's, like he's, like, this YouTube kid. And he's, like, demonstrating, like, his Legos and, like, how he built them. And, like, there's these, these lights on them. And he's, like, talking about how cool they are. And da-da-da-da. I'm like, man, this is, like, so beyond me. And he's like, Dad, can, can I start a YouTube channel? And I'm like, no. And he's like, why not? He's like, I don't know anything about that. Like, ask your mom. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, like, I'm not going to do it. Like, I grew up in the 80s, right? My parents were like, here's some G.I. Joes. Go play in the dirt. Right? And that was, that was me. And when I, when I grew up, like, that's how, that's how I lived. Like, I just don't understand it. I don't grasp the concept of it. But for my son, what he sees is these kids on YouTube who are just, like, playing with their toys, and, like, the things that kids want to do now today is, is, like, watch people, watch other kids on YouTube play with their toys rather than going outside to play with their toys. Like, I, I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around it, right? But what he sees in that moment, who, who Winston wanted to be and what he wanted to become was this person on YouTube. He wanted to be the person on the screen. And he's acting out as if he is the person on the screen, right? We acted out G.I. Joe's. Like, we got our, our, we got, took a bunch of sticks, turned them into guns, and put on some camouflage. Like, like my grandpa's, like, war uniforms and helmets, and we ran around the neighborhood and shot each other. That's what we did, right? And uh, G, I wanted to be G.I. Joe because G.I. Joe had power and influence and meaning and purpose. And see, they were saving the world. Now Winston's like, no, 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 meaning and significance and purpose is held by this kid. It's like playing with toys on YouTube. I can't grasp it, but what I can grasp is this. From a young age, from a young age, you and me and all of us, we are attracted to and we want, we desire to have meaning and significance and purpose and influence and power and authority. These are things that, that, that from a young age we see it and we say, I, I want it. And how, what that looks like might change over time. What it looked like for me when I was a kid was different than maybe what it would look like for you or what it looks like for my, for my son Winston. But we all want it from a young age. And as we grow, it changes. And how that looks changes for us. And what we see here in the story this morning, James and John, they're doing the same thing that Winston's doing. They're doing the same thing that you and I do every single day. They see an opportunity for power and influence, for significance, for meaning and purpose. And they're like, this looks pretty good, right? Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. He's going to become king. And they say, I mean, I, I want that. I want to be a part of that. And so they, they reach out for it. And right out of the gate, I want to be really, really clear on something. Because I think this is important, Okay. Do James and John love Jesus? It's not a trick question. Y yeah. Yeah. These are two of Jesus' three best friends. Okay, these men are closer to him than anyone else on the planet. They are his best friends. They love Jesus. James and John love Jesus. They can say with legitimacy, he is my best friend. They've, they've given their life to him. There's no question of that. They love Jesus. And yet in this moment, in this moment, suddenly 
There's a, there's a shift that takes place. And without seeing it, without knowing it, without, uh, without, without being able to, 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 to know what's happening, they have begun to love something more than Jesus. And this is important to understand, that they love Jesus. Because the reality is that many of us in this room this morning love Jesus. I know not everybody in the room loves Jesus. I know some of you are like, man, my friend dragged me here. I don't even know why I'm here. Hey, I'm glad you're here. But like most of us in the room, we would say, man, I love Jesus. That's why I'm here. I'm in a path group. I volunteer. I serve. I I, I read my Bible every day. I pray because I love Jesus. And yet I want you to see right out of the gate that there is a danger here in saying, man, I love Jesus and so therefore I'm good. James and John love Jesus and without knowing it, without seeing it, something in their life becomes greater than Jesus. They don't ever stop loving Jesus. They just start loving something more. And this is called idolatry. This thing in their life, which I would argue is actually a good thing. There's a God-given desire for us to have meaning and significance and purpose. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. If I didn't have, if I have that in me. I have hopes and I have dreams for flourishing grace. I have desires for you and for our church. And if I didn't, I'd be a crummy pastor. I have ambitions and hopes for what flourishing grace will become someday. And I always have it since we got here. And some of those things have been realized and some of them are yet to come. But if I didn't have those things, I wouldn't be a very good pastor. You wouldn't want me around. Some of you are like, I don't want you around anyways. That's okay. Um, It's a God-given thing. And even authority is a God-given thing. Right? We know that families and communities and towns and cities and states and even nations function at their best when there's good, healthy authority. This is a God-given thing and a God-given structure. It's like a candle in your house or a fire in the fireplace that can give warmth and light to the whole house. But the moment it becomes out of control, the moment you begin to love it more than you love Jesus, it becomes an idol. It's going to burn the whole thing down. And so right out of the gate, I want you to see that there, it is very good possibility that there are certain things in your life that are good things, that have become ultimate things. And for me, this happens all the time. All the time, there's good things that kind of slip into this place where I begin to love them more than I love Jesus. And maybe you're just better than me. Maybe you're more holier than me. But for me, it happens all the time. And so right out of the gate, I want you to be awakened to the reality that this may very well be true of you. Let's not dismiss this quickly. So what goes wrong with James and John? James and John have stopped pursuing Jesus for Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning. We must pursue Jesus for Jesus. We must pursue Jesus for Jesus. Jesus. James and John have failed in this moment to pursue Jesus for Jesus' sake. Power, authority, success, and status have become more important to them. This idol has formed in their life, right? Jesus is not the means to a greater ends, okay? Jesus is not the means to a greater ends. He is the end, okay? Jesus is not the means to a greater end. He is the ends. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And so often, right, when we love Jesus, we can quickly be fooled into thinking that he's the means to a greater end. And so many people do this. So many different churches and religions and even different denominations do this all the time. They kind of fashion and mold what we would consider in our minds, if we're not thinking clearly, a greater ends. And they position Jesus as a means to that greater ends. The greater ends becomes the lure to which they're trying to get you to maybe give more money or something, right? For my Baptist friends, right? It's like, man, salvation is the greater ends, right? Kind of getting out of hell is a pretty good ends. And like Jesus becomes the means to a greater ends, right? For my Pentecostal friends, like there's a spiritual power, right? This spiritual, man, you can, you can dream dreams and prophesy and speak in tongues and Jesus becomes a means to a greater ends, for my local friends and our local religion, right, this eternity with my family becomes the greater ends, and Jesus is a means to that greater ends. For my health and wealth friends, I don't have any health and wealth friends, but if I did, <laughs> right, if I did, right, health and wealth is like the greater ends, and Jesus becomes the means to the greater ends, right? If you come to Jesus, then you can get this thing, and we prop up this thing as the better thing, but Jesus is not the means to the greater ends. He is the ends, In John 14, Jesus says, I am, I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am. You know the means to a greater ends? I am the ends. And the reality is if you pursue those things, you're never going to find Jesus at the end of them. Even though, Psalm 16, right, in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you give your life to pursuing joy and pleasure, you're never going to find Jesus. Because he's not the means to the ends. He is the ends. When you pursue him and him alone, you'll find those things. But if you pursue those things, you're never going to find him. If you pursue wealth, if you pursue wealth and you make that your greatest aim in your life, and that's the thing that you're going to chase after, that, that bank account, that, that job that's going to give you that, that amount of money, you're never going to find him, even though he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50. He owns it all. He has all the wealth. But if you're pursuing wealth, you're never going to find him. If you pursue power, even though Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created through him and for him, he has all the power. He is the all-powerful, almighty God. But if your pursuit is power, you're never going to find him because he's not a means to the ends. He is the ends. We must pursue Jesus for Jesus' sake. Paul tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in him. He's not the means to the ends. He is the ends. So how do we know How do we know when our desire for power or success or fame has become become an idol? How do we know? We know this when the way of the cross is no longer our chief desire and is no longer the way of our life. Many of you in the room are in a path group. Path groups here at Flourishing Grace are these small uh, groups of two to three, four men or two to three, four women 
right, who are actively engaged in each other's lives and calling each other out. It's a place of where, where sin is being confessed and, and my, my life and my secrets are being exposed. And so maybe you just need to ask your path group, man, is my life, is the way I'm living, am I living the way of the cross? And if the answer is no, if they're honest with you, and I hope they are because they love you, if the answer is no, right, there's something in your life, without seeing it, it's become greater than Jesus. There's an idol there. And maybe it's power and authority and success and fame, but maybe it's something completely different. There's so many things that could become an idol in your life. But the moment that the way of the cross is not our chief desire and our way of life, we know that we're living for something else, which leads me to the second thing I want you to see this morning. The pursuit of Jesus is a pursuit of the cross. The pursuit of Jesus is a pursuit of of the cross. It's not a pursuit of power, right? And I say power and authority because this morning that's the context of our text, right? James and John, they want power and authority. But maybe for you it's something different. Maybe for you it's wealth or success or sex or notoriety. I, I don't know what it is for you. But the pursuit of Jesus, whatever it is you're pursuing, if you're pursuing Jesus, you're pursuing the cross, if you're pursuing Jesus, you're pursuing the cross. Jesus points this out. This is where this text begins, right? Jesus says uh, right out of the gate, he says to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, this is the third time Jesus has said this in a very short period of time, right? In just the past few chapters, Jesus has said this three times. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. And if you want to come after me, you got to take up your cross and let's go. you got to die to yourself. And yet James and John, all they hear are the first few words, right? James and John are like the... Like the junior hires that are getting to go like on a field trip to like Lagoon or something, right? Or like, I don't know where they're going. They're going to Six Flags, right? And they're like, hey, uh, the bus driver's like, hey, we're almost at Six Flags, but I just want you to know that, you know, there's a storm up ahead and we've got to get, make it through this canyon. We're probably going to drive off the cliff and we're probably going to die, but we're almost at Six Flags. And all the junior hires here are like, we're almost at Six Flags. Like, this is amazing, right? And it, it, for James and John, all they hear is, hey, see, look, fellas. I'm going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the city of the king, right? And for James and John, all they hear is, he's going to be king, baby, right? It's glory and honor, and here it comes. Like, this is it. This is our moment. And if we're going to ask, like, we got to ask now, right? If, if we can't wait any longer because we're almost there. Like, the bus is almost arriving. If we're going to ask, now is the time to ask. And so they pull Jesus aside, and they ask the question that, like, all kids, like, ask their parents. They, like, take the temperature, I don't know if your kids have ever asked you this. They're like, hey, Dad, uh, if I was going to ask you for something, and I'm not saying I am going to ask you for something, but if I did ask you for something, like, would you say yes? Right? It's like, I'm going to take mom's temperature to see what, what kind of mood is mom in right now. Mom, if I was going to ask, hypothetically speaking, if I was going to ask you, what would you say? Um, if I wanted a puppy, would you say yes or no? Um, they say, listen, if, if I want you to say yes, will you say yes? If we ask you for anything, will you say yes? It's like, that's a weird way to start a question. 
But they, what they want is they want to sit on his right and sit on his left. They want power. They want authority. They want control. They want all of the things that is the way of the world. This is what they're pursuing. And they don't hear that Jesus says, man, I'm going to be given up. I'm going to be delivered over. And this is why the story of James and John is sandwiched in between the way of the cross and the way of the world. If you look at the text, you, this is what you're going to see. The way this is positioned is Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. Here's the way of the cross. Then you have this interaction with James and John here in the middle. And at the end, Jesus spells out the way of the world. At the end of the text, this is what Jesus says. He says to them, he said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is in verse 32. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, Jesus says, man, you guys know the way of the world. You know the way of the world. You've experienced it. You've lived it. You've had careers. You've had jobs. You've watched the news. You know the way of the world. The way of the world is more and more and more in power. There's never enough power. Right? We need to be the one who has the authority. We need to be the one who is in control. And when you walk into your office, you just, you're like, man, I hope they know how much I have to offer them. I hope they know how many times I've saved this company from ruin. I hope that they see how valuable I am to, you, to them. Some of you in the room, some of you men are like, man, my, my wife and my kids, they need to respect me. You better start respecting me. We carry ourselves around saying, man, I, I, I deserve respect and I deserve authority. Others of us, right, mostly the younger folks in the room are like, there's no such thing as authority. Like, you can't tell me what I should do or what I can be or what I can, what I can, where I can dress or who I can love. or what I, You can't tell me those things. Right? You need to do what you want to do, and I'm going to just let me do what I want to do, and we're all going to get along just fine, which makes no sense at all, by the way, right? which is a sermon for another day. But if you think about it for two seconds, it makes no sense. Right? If that's true, you can just do whatever you want to do, and I'll just do whatever I want to do, but don't tell me what I want to do. Right? Putin is just doing what he wants to do. All right? like, so just leave him alone, I guess. Right? No, like it doesn't make any sense. There must be some standard, there must be some line, there must be some authority. There must be some mark in which we say, man, that's what's right. That's, that's the standard. If you don't have a standard, and if you don't say that standard applies to everybody, it, just, it fails quickly. And God and God alone is that standard. The way of the world says, man, you need to have control you need to have authority. You, you need to have a hold on things. The problem with this idea, listen to me, is that you can't do it. You can't even manage yourself, let, let alone all of the things that surround you, let alone your kids and your, your, your employees or whatever it is that you have authority over. You can't even manage yourself. See, I just, let me ask you, who, who's let you down more than you've let yourself down? Who's failed you more than you've failed yourself? Who's lied to you more than you've lied to yourself? 
constantly we're making up these ideas in our head. If I just had this, if I just had that, if I could just get to this place and everything would be great and then we get there and it's not real. Like we're constantly lying to ourselves. We're constantly letting ourselves down. We're constantly failing ourselves. You can't even manage yourself. How are you going to be the one who's in control? But that's how we live our lives. If I had the control, if I had the authority, if everybody just thought the way that I thought and believed the things that I believed and lived the way that I lived, then the world would just be a better place. What the world needs is a little bit more people who act and think like me. You're a lousy king. You can't even rule yourself. And yet that's what we want. We want to be king. The way of the cross, the pursuit of Jesus is the pursuit of the cross. The way of the cross is self-denial. It's serving others, becoming slaves to all. It's taking up our cross and taking all of those desires and nailing them to that cross and say, I will not live for myself. I'm going to live for the king of kings and I'm going to serve those around me at expense to myself. Now that, the world says, listen to me, the world says you cannot do that. You can't do that. You cannot do that, right? That is the absolute, that is the the complete opposite of what the world says to do. The world around you says you can't do that. You can't give up your rights. You can't give up your freedoms. You can't give up control. You cannot do that. There's a story um, by a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. Stanley Hauerwas was... uh, he, he's, he's one of the greatest theologians of our time. He was the president of Duke Theological Seminary. Um, he's, he's older now. He's retired. Um, he's still sharp as a tack. Um, but Stanley Hauerbrost tells a story of um, back in the 1980s, um, the United States underneath the President Ronald Reagan uh, bombed civilian targets in Libya. And at Duke University at this time, this, this kind of debate erupted amongst the students. And he, and he was in this room with these students, and, and the students on this side of the room are saying, man, you can't do that. It's immoral to bomb a civilian target. And then over here on this side of the room, the students are saying, no, 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 you absolutely should. Like, there was terrorist acts, and we needed to put an end to it, and Ronald Reagan did the right thing. And one of the students over here says, sees Hauerwas in the crowd. He says, what do you say, preacher? And Hauerwas um, you can YouTube him later. He's got this squeaky little Texas accent voice. He says, well, uh, for me, I think as a Christian, I can never support the bombing of anyone, especially not a civilian target. Uh, there's, so as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I would say, no, you can't do that. And the student says, that's just like you Christians, right? When, when a Libyan terrorist shoots a kid, you're all up in arms and you scream about it. But then when Ronald Reagan does the right thing and steps in and tries to make a difference, right? You're all up in arms about that, right? No one's going to ever satisfy you. And Hauerwas says, well, yes. What would the Christian response be? Hauerwas was a Methodist. And he says, is a Methodist. He says, well, I suppose the Christian response would be if the United Methodist Church tomorrow said, we're going to send a thousand young missionaries, a thousand young men and women to Libya because we see it's a place that needs justice and needs mercy and the the soil is ripe for the gospel of God and we're going to transform the heart of Libya through the gospel of Christ and we're going to to create a movement and a work and we're going to advance the kingdom and we're going to push back the powers of darkness we're going to send a thousand young missionaries to Libya. And the student says, well, you can't do that. How about says, well, why not? So President Ronald Reagan wouldn't let you. It's a closed country. You can't send the Americans there. 
and our us in only the way that he can, sharp as a tack. He says, no, you're wrong. You're right that we can't do it, but you're wrong as to why. We can't do it, but not because President Ronald Reagan won't let us. The reason we can't do it is because the church has failed to form men and women into the way of the cross. We have failed to instill into our people that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The pursuit of Jesus is the pursuit of the cross. And he goes on uh, in this book, he says, We would like a church that again asserts that God, not nations, rules the world. That the boundaries of God's kingdom transcend those of Caesar's. And that the main political task of the church is the formation of people who see clearly the cost of discipleship and are willing to pay the price. You see, the world is always going to tell you that you can't live the way of Jesus. In everything that you do, they're going to say, you can't do that. You, you can't love your husband when he says those things. You can't quit your job to take care of your kids. Don't you realize you, you can't give up power and authority and control? You can't let that person walk all over you. You need to fight for this, what this party believes or what this leader believes. The world's going to constantly tell you you can't live the way of Jesus. But what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see is that the way of the cross, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. That we would become slaves to all, servants to those around us. That we'd take up our cross and we'd follow after him. This is the way of the cross. Friends, the world will always be vying for power, but they'll never have it. They'll never hold it. Why? Constantly, this is what, it's happening all around the world right now. Right? Everybody wants power. Right? On the other side of the world, there's a war raging over who's going to be in control and who's going to have power. Right? Putin wants to control Ukraine, and Ukraine's like, I don't, I don't really want to be controlled by you. It's all about power. It's all about control. And they're always going to be fighting for it. And they're never going to attain it. Why? Like, who in the world right now has the most power? Is it Russia? Not a true question. You can say no. I'm not a communist. Um, <laughs> no, it's not Russia. They've been proven. They can't, they can't like, they, they got nothing, right? So who is it? My hot, red-blooded Republican friends in the room are like, U-S-A, U-S-A, <laughs> right? We got the power. No! No, it's not you, right? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and he has all the power, he has all the authority, and you will never have it. And so every attempt that we make in our lives of clinging to it and grasping for it and trying to get that authority and trying to get that power and trying to get the control is futile because he already has it all. You're trying to grasp at something that you can't grasp. And it doesn't matter who wins the war in Ukraine. Neither one of them will end up with the power because Jesus holds all the authority and power in heaven and on earth. And so you can keep pursuing it, but all of your anxiety and all of your stress and all these things that you're, that are, that you're feeling in your life are a result of you trying to gain control of something that you're never going to control. 
because he's already in full control. He's sovereign over every square inch of every little thing. And you and I are sovereign over none of it. And you never will be. But here's the beauty of it. The one who has all authority and power in heaven and earth, the one who is sovereign over all, he gave it up. And he gave it up for you. And he gave it up for me. He chose the way of the cross. He became a servant and became slave to all. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to bleed the ground red for you. That you might be covered in his blood. You might be covered in his mercy and his grace. That he might become the perfect sacrifice on your behalf. So that no longer would sin and the curse of sin be held over you. But that that curse would be broken by his sacrifice. And the way that we live our lives, constantly clinging for power and constantly vying for control and authority, proves that we really don't understand that very well. And here's another thing that we failed to understand, that the church has failed to teach us, is this. Not only has Jesus gone to the cross and laid aside the power and the authority which was given him and chose the way of the cross, he did it for you, but Jesus went to the cross to give you the crown. Jesus went to the cross to give you the crown. Not just, not just hey, someday out here you'll, you, you'll be saved and you won't have to go to hell. You can just go to heaven. No, 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 no. He went to the cross to give you the crown. That you would rule with him for all eternity. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says this. He says, the saint is trustworthy, Timothy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. In Revelation 3.21, Jesus says this. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Throne, right? So what's the request of James and John? I want to sit at your right and sit at your left. Who's going to do that? The one who conquers. Those who endure to the end. Those who choose Jesus above everything else in their life. He says, you're going to rule and reign with me. I'm going to share my kingdom with you. I'm going to share my authority with you. We are already victorious in Christ. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the victory. He is the king. If power and authority are your pursuit, you'll never find him. But for those who conquer the idols of this life by the blood of Christ, his power and authority will find us. By clinging to earthly power, rejecting earthly authority, declares that we don't understand this very well at all. So I want to ask you a couple questions real quick. Where right now in your life are you being defiant? Right now in your life, where, where are, are you um, kicking back, kicking against the goads, 
I just wanted to say goats. Where in your life are you saying, I'm not going to do that. You're just white-knuckling it. I'm not going to follow this person. I'm not going to listen to this thing. I don't like my boss. I don't like these employees. I, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated at home. I'm frustrated with my, with my marriage. I, I'm not going to do it. Where, where are you being defiant right now in your life? Where in your life do you need to become a servant? Where, where in your life do you need to become slave to all? In a minute, um, my friend Kate's going to come out and she's going to be baptized this morning. Kate's going to share her story with you. And her story involves a lot of dying to herself. A lot of awakening and realizing that all the promises of this world are meaningless. Because Jesus already rules it all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And so I can release that. I can release my desire, my my control, and all these things. And, And when we begin to pursue the way of the cross, there's freedom there. Freedom from anxiety and freedom from stress. When we release our grasp on the things of this world, we say, Man, these things are not going to define me anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus and live for him alone. And maybe for, the, maybe for some of us this morning, there's an area in your life, and we just need to die to that this morning. We need to put an end to that this morning. You just need to die a little bit more to yourself. For some of us in this room, for the first time. For the first time ever, you need to say, no, 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 stop, stop. I'm not king. I'm a lousy king. I'm even a worse God. Jesus, you are king. You alone are king. And for the first time, you need to die to yourself. You need to take up your cross and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to live my life for me anymore. If you want to make that commitment this morning, I got some friends in the back. Uh, Pastor Benger and Austin Glenn are going to be back in the back. They would love to talk to you about that. If you want to get baptized this morning, this is open to you. Those men would love to pray for you. If you say, man, today's the day I'm giving my life to Jesus. And we got t-shirts, we got shorts, we got the whole thing. And we, we would love to help you take that first step in your relationship with Jesus. Benger and Austin will be in the back. Kate's going to come out in a minute. But right now, I'm just going to pray for you. Let me pray for us. Man, Jesus, we just confess in this moment that we have been a people who have been hungry for all the wrong things. That we have, even in our love for you, we have loved other things. Even in our love for you, we have we have begun to love things more than you. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us right now in this moment, you'd help us to surrender those things. You'd help us to set those things aside, to nail them to the cross and say, those things will, will no longer mark my life. And there may be some radical steps that we need to take in order to remove those things from our lives, in order to kill our sin. To nail it to the cross, to come after you.
And maybe right now in this moment this morning, maybe for the first time, we need to take our old life and we need to die, put that old life to death. And that needs to go to the cross and it needs to be killed. And we need to be raised to a new life in Christ. Would you give us boldness and courage in this place? Would you help us to count the cost of discipleship? And would you help us pay it? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's sing together as we prepare for baptism.